John chapter 21 is where we are. And I want to talk to us post-Easter about who is God when I sin. Who is God when I sin? Now, to set the stage for you, we are going to be looking at uh, a rather lengthy conversation that Jesus has with Peter post-resurrection. And of course, if you're familiar with the story of the Bible, uh, you, if you're not familiar with many of the disciples, the disciple that you may be most familiar with is the uh, Apostle Peter. Um, um, he is the ready-shoot-aim disciple. Okay, Curtis got it. <laughs> he, his mouth... Uh, well, my dad used to say that human beings tend to write checks that, they're, that they simply can't cash. You know, they, their mouth writes checks that they, their life simply can't cash. And that seems to be what's going on with Peter. Peter is constantly making big, gigantic statements in the Bible, and his life at times seems to, you know, to do what he says he's going to do, but really, when it comes down to it, Peter has failed the Lord far more than he has succeeded in his walk with the Lord. And so, prior to the crucifixion, uh, you probably uh, are well familiar with uh, Peter's having this discussion with the Lord, and he's, he's like, Lord, all these other guys, they may forsake you. Because the Lord has told him, you guys, are going to, you guys are going to abandon me. I mean, you're going to flake out when I need you most. And he says, Lord, they may, but not me. Not me. I'll die for you before I will deny you. I will die for you before I deny you. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Peter... When the, by the time the cock crows for the third time, you will have denied me three times. And Jesus' words are always true. And just a few days later, Peter has his great denial. Or actually, it's just a few hours later. Peter's gonna, Peter has his great denial where he is warming his hands by a fire and he is asked by a young girl if he is not one of the followers of Jesus. And Peter, not once, not twice, but a third time denies Christ. And Mark, in his account of the gospel, lets us know that that third time, Peter even cursed. And in that third occasion of denying the Lord... Peter sees the Lord, and he is overwhelmed with great guilt and shame. And so we pick up our story this morning in John chapter 21. Read with me beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. This is the third time that Jesus has revealed himself to the disciples. And it says, revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. 
And Simon Peter said to them, I'm gone fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got in the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Always strikes me as interesting how you spend three years with somebody and not like they were a great distance off because it's about to tell us that they were but a mere hundred yards off the shore, but they didn't know it was Jesus. But here's the good news. There were a lot of other people post-resurrection that came in contact with Jesus. Mary, his mother, being one, and didn't even know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, this is a word that could also mean little boys. Do you have any fish? I love it when Jesus asks questions that he already knows the answer to. I mean, like Jesus, he knew whether they had fish or not, right? Do you have any fish, little guys, little boys, children? And they answered, no. So he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, that's the way It's weird how John refers to himself in his own book. Why he doesn't just call himself John, I don't know, but he calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. It's a true statement, but it's just a weird way to refer to yourself. But nonetheless, that's how John writes about himself. Therefore he said to Peter, It's the Lord. When Simon heard that it was the Lord... Now, please watch this. I need y'all to to get the humor in what's about to happen here, because when I read this, I just belly laughed. I thought, this is... This is so Peter. This is so Peter, what he's about to do. He put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. Which means, he didn't have a shirt on. He just kind of had some, so let's modernize it. He had swim trunks on. He hears that it's the Lord, and instead of just jumping in the water with the swim trunks on, he gets fully dressed, then jumps in the water. And people that say the Bible is boring, undoubtedly they've never read the Bible. Or they don't get biblical humor. That's funny. Why do you get dressed to get in the water when you're already ready to get into the water? But that's what he does. He jumps in the water. And, 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 you know, mind you, this is not some lightweight fabric that repels water. This is heavy duty, uh, probably a heavy cotton or some type of wool fabric that's going to do nothing but absorb the water and make getting to Jesus even slower. So, just keep that in mind too. And he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Now, I'm just going to make one little note on that because somebody will inevitably ask me, Why did he write 153? 
We don't really know. That's the answer. Okay? But I'll give you two possibilities. Number one, that they are fishermen. And when you're fishing for a living commercially, you want to account for every fish to make sure you get paid for it, right? That's the logical sense. I think that's the logical answer to it. However, one of our early, early, early 4th century church fathers wrote that in those days, the days of the disciples, it was believed that there were only 153 species of fish. Now, I'm not going to make a lot out of this, okay? And nor should you. And so simply... This early church father named Jerome made the point that could it be that Jesus was just simply reminding Peter that he had called him to be a fisherman of all men? I don't know. You take that for what it's worth, but there's two interpretations if you're just curious as to why John writes because some of you say, well, Brother Jason, you've always said that there's nothing in the Bible there by accident. And you're right. But that's just one of those situations where we're not totally for sure why the number 153 is there, except for those two possibilities. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so would the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. A few more verses here. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we're not sure what these are. Did he mean, do you love me more than these other ten guys? Or do you love me more than these, speaking of the fish? Or maybe it's all of it. We're not sure. He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said, Feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. Huh. Never have truer words been spoken. You know everything. You see, Jesus had asked him, do you love me? Do you agape me? Which is the, the God love, the 100% love, the greatest love. And Peter said, Lord, I phileo you. Which was another form of the word love, but phileo love doesn't go near as far as agape love goes. He asked him a second time, do you agape, agapeo me, Peter. And he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. Jesus is asking, do you love me like I love you? And Peter says, no, Lord, but I love you. I may not lo love you 100%, but I love you. 
And then he says, Peter, do you, now watch the third time. Jesus says, Peter, do you phileo me? Jesus changes his word. And that's why Peter's grieved. And he says, Lord, you know I phileo you. You know I love you. Hold that because we'll come back to it at the end. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This is this, he said, to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. That little parenthetical, that parentheses there in verse 19, that this was to show what kind of death he would die. Scripture does not record the death of Peter, but history does record the death of Peter. And what we do know is that his hands were stretched out. They were stretched out on a cross, and Peter was crucified like his Lord, except Peter would not allow his, uh, uh, those who crucified him to crucify him erect, but to crucify him upside down. Upside down. Peter's story this morning is much like Simba in The Lion King. Are you familiar with that story? Some of you have seen it more times than you care to admit to because you have children. And some of you grown people still watch it all the time, which is okay, it's a great story. We go to Disney World. I mean, one of the few places I really want to go to Disney World is to the Lion King show. Because that means I don't have to ride a roller coaster, which I despise. But I ride anyway because my wife loves it, and I love being married to her, and it makes for a good marriage, and even though it makes me sick. Simba feels responsible for his father's death. Though he was tricked by his enemy Scar into the very act that instigated his father's death, he nevertheless feels incredibly guilty about the death of King Mufasa. Scar's words caused Simba to flee and leave the pride. Anybody remember what Scar's words were to young Simba? The king is dead, and if it were not for you, he would still be alive. Peter was not tricked into his actions. They were prophesied by Jesus. Jesus told him, you're going to deny me. But no matter the causality, whether tricked or told, bringing death to someone you love carries with it immense and great grief. Just as Simba fled and ran from the pride, so did Peter flee and run back to his old life. The question this morning is, who is God when I sin? Who is God when I sin? And not just when I sin, because I sin every day, but who is God when I sin really big? Those of you that love Andy Griffith, one of my favorite, and Andy would do it quite often. He would be sitting in the Mayberry 
police station after some event had happened, and Andy would take his leg and flop it up on his desk, and he would look at Barney and he'd say, Barney, how in the world can I get that big old foot in my mouth? Big failure. And Peter had been the one who had been the big mouth disciple who said all that he would do for the Lord only to fail as big as he promised. Anybody in here ever been to youth camp? Youth camps are prime places for big promises with all the best intentions. But it doesn't take till about Tuesday at about 12 o'clock when you're back at school for all those big promises. Lord, I'll never sin again. And we'd all sit there and those... I mean, look, I'm a church kid. All I know is doing church stuff. I'm, I sit at so many youth camps, and, and then when you're a youth pastor, and you do youth camps, and you sit there, and you, you got kids are crying, oh, he'll, he won't, he'll never sin again. I know he's done with that. We're so proud of him. Or, when I get back to school, I'm just going to tell everybody about Jesus. I'm not going to be quiet about my faith any longer. You know what? I think he'll be the next Billy Graham. I think God's raising him up to do a great revival and lead thousands of kids at school to Jesus. Only four weeks later, not to even find him or her at church. We all know if you're a true follower of Christ, you've had your Peter moments, right? Hmm? Anybody in here blown it big? Blown it in ways that you dare not even want to discuss in, in a group of other believers. You just want to keep it on the down low. You ever, you ever blown it in front of somebody and then, got, and then that person got around you when you were around some other Christians and they wanted to start talking about when you blew it one time and you're like, it really wasn't all that bad. You know, the story's gotten a little bigger as the years have gone on. Who is God when that happens? Who is He when I sin and I sin big? How does He retreat rebellious children? And some of you think that God treats you like your mom and daddy treated you. Right? And not just the rebellious child, but one who seems to be stuck in a cycle of rebellion. When does God finally say to us, I'm just finished with you? You know what? Enough is enough, Jason. I've had it up to here with you. When does God finally say, I'm finished? Here's the good news. Jesus said it is, it is finished on the cross so that he can say, only I can say when you're finished. 
Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian this morning, I have no better news for you than when Jesus said those words on the cross, it is finished, and he brings you into his family, you never get to utter the words, I am finished. And you know why I can say that? Because of the words that are on the screen spoken by the Apostle Paul. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will what? Bring it to completion. He'll finish it at the day of Christ. And, and unless you think that Jesus didn't say something very similar, listen to what he said to his followers. He said, and this is the will. Check it out. The will of him who sent me. So this is God's will, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. What's, what's he talking about in John chapter 6? He's talking about sheep. He says, you know what? I don't lose sheep. The sheep that God gives me are the sheep that I keep. Why? Because they're my sheep. Those sheep didn't come looking for me. I went looking for those sheep. The Bible says no one seeks God, no, no not one. The, the Bible reminds us that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost according to Luke 19.10. God is the seeker of humans. He is the initiator of salvation, not human beings. And so if God starts this work of salvation, trust me, He's the only one that can complete it. Why? Because He said, I'm finished. You and I can never say, if we're truly His, I'm finished with you. We may act like we're finished. We may act like we're quitting the team. We may act like we're walking away from the faith. But trust me, the Good Shepherd does not lose any of His sheep. Today's text teaches us this big truth. Our sin is never final because forgiveness is never final. Our sin is never final because forgiveness is never final. Who is God when I sin? He is the same as He was before I was saved. He's constantly seeking a relationship. Now again, go back to the text. Just, let's just walk through the text again one more time together. So look at what happened. After Jesus has revealed Himself uh, again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, He, re he revealed Himself in this way. Who is looking for Jesus? Not the disciples. Jesus is looking for them. And anytime you and I blow it big, and anytime you and I have sinned so greatly that our, that our initial response is to run away from God, and to run away from the church, and to run away from all the things of God, here's what God does. He says, uh -uh, I paid too high of a price for you. You, not, you will not get away that easy. You, you may can run and hide for a period of time, but know this, I'm coming. I'm coming. Why? Because, I, I mean, this payment for your salvation that I made was not some cheap payment. This was not some 50 cent act of grace. This was the ultimate payment. Even my precious blood I shed so that you could be redeemed. Don't think you can get away that easy. Don't think you can run from me and stay away from me. I paid far too high a price. 
And you know what I'm talking about. Just take something that's, that, that you paid a lot for, that you've given up a lot to have, and let it, and let it leave. Trust me, there's not one of us in here that wouldn't tear everything down and go through whatever we needed to go through to find and to get whatever that item is or that thing is that we have lost that is such of great value. Jesus is coming for them. They may have retreated back to their old way of life. They may have gone back to fishing. Remember what Jesus said? You're no longer fishermen. I'm making you fisher of men, right? If you look back in, in, in Matthew 16, uh, verses 13 through 18, uh, uh, these should be on the screen. I think. Well, maybe they won't come up. I'll read them to you. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He is, this is Peter's big shining moment in faith that he is saying, you know what, Lord? People have got all kinds of ideas about you, but here's what we know to be true. You are the Christ. You are the Son of God. And Jesus makes this audacious statement, Peter, it is on you, the rock, that I'm going to build my church. So Jesus has made this promise early on in the life of Peter that, Peter, you're just not one of my disciples and you're just not one of my inner circle disciples because Peter, James, and John kind of had this special, unique relationship with Jesus that the other nine didn't have. And then inside that inner circle, Jesus had this special relationship with Peter. And he says, Peter, out of all these guys, you're my man. You're the one I'm building everything on. And then Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Jesus made a bold proclamation. Peter made a bold proclamation. And though he had lived with Jesus for three years and ascended into Jesus' inner circle, Peter counted himself finished. Why is Peter back fishing? Because he thinks it's all over with. He really thinks, I can't help but believe that Peter thinks that those words that Jesus spoke back, back in Matthew 10, where Jesus said, if you'll deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. I can't help but think that maybe those words are weighing on Jesus' mind, that, that, that Jesus is done with him. Why? Because Peter has denied him, so therefore, the, the, Lord, has, the, the Lord is done with him. How can a colossal failure such as himself claim to be a Christian, much less become what Christ proclaimed him to be? While Peter was returning to his prior life, God was seeking, Christ was seeking to restore Peter. Right? Look at verses 4 and 5. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him and said, No. Hey, listen. 
I want to tell you something this morning. I don't know everybody in this room. I know a lot of people in this room. I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, a lot of you. But listen to me. When you're you're genuinely God's child, and you're far away from Him, do you know one of the ways God just gives us a subtle reminder that He's not giving up on us? They tried to go back to their old way of life, and God just complicated it. They couldn't catch fish. These are professional fishermen. I mean, it ain't like me and a Zebco 202 out there. These are professional fishermen. They know how to catch fish. They can't catch fish. And, 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 they're, and, and Lord knows they were only probably five or six feet away on the other side of the boat. The Lord was sending a message. You guys, you tried to go back, but guess what? You're not going to be successful. I'm not going to let you be successful. I'm going to stop you in your tracks. I'm going to frustrate every movement that you make. Why? Because I'm going to frustrate you to where the only place you have to look is back to me. That's not God being mean. That's God being loving. That's God being loving. You see, the pathway of faith is always found at the end of frustration and failure for a Christian. Who is God when I sin? He's my restorer. Watch how He restores Peter. Now watch this. Verses 6 through 8. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. How does the Lord begin the process of restoring Peter back to where he was? Well, he he reenacts his moment of faith. This story's happened once before, right? Luke chapter 5, the first time... You know, when, when, when Peter finally decides that he's going to follow the Lord, he's out fishing. They've been fishing all night. They haven't caught any fish. And the Lord comes to him. And actually, this time he gets in the boat with him. And he says, have you guys tried the other side of the boat? I imagine in my glorified, maybe sanctified imagination that the Peter, Peter's like, you're a carpenter, I'm a fisherman. Don't you think we tried the other side of the boat? I mean, come on. I mean... Our job is fishermen, your job's a carpenter. But nonetheless, they threw it out on the other side, and what happened? They hauled in this great haul of fish. And when they did, what happened? Peter fell down on his knees and he began to worship. And how did Jesus respond? He said, Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You see, this whole event is happening because Jesus is gently reminding Peter that I'm the one who sought you and saved you, and I'll be the one who determines when you're finished. The Lord doesn't overlook or sweep under the rug our failure or Peter's failure. He is like a skilled surgeon seeking to exercise healing. The Lord reenacts Peter's moment of failure not to hurt Peter, but to heal him. But to heal him. But listen, he's also doing something else here in the story. 
He's also doing something else because now that they've got this great catch of fish, they're coming on shore, right? And they get on the shore, and Jesus is about to reenact one other big moment in the life of Peter. So number one, he's reminding him of the moment he was saved, of the moment that he came to faith in Christ. And he's reminding him that, Peter, you didn't get in on Team Jesus because you chose me. You got in on Team Jesus because I chose you. Because I called you. Because I came to you. Because I sought you. That's the only way you got on Team Jesus. But Jesus is not going to overlook what Peter has done. Peter has sinned and he has sinned greatly. And so now the Lord wants to, he wants to deal with that. And so they come off, we're not going to reread all those scriptures, but they come off the boat, right? And when they come off the boat, Jesus has already cooked the fish for them to eat and has prepared bread. And there's a charcoal fire there, right? There's a charcoal fire where the fish have been cooking. Why is that important? Because it wasn't but a few days before Peter was around another charcoal fire. And he was warming his hands when he was asked on three different occasions, aren't you one of his? To which he denied Christ all three times. And here's Peter back at that charcoal fire. And I can't help but believe that in that moment, as Peter is sitting around that charcoal fire, and he is with the Lord, that he is not dealing at the same time with those emotions of one of the last times he was around a charcoal fire. But Jesus has got different plans here. And I want to show you this. I want to show you how Jesus reacts in Peter's moment of failure. Number one, Jesus, when, Peter, when he told Peter that he was going to fail, look at what he said right after that. Luke twenty-two thirty-two. 32. He says, but I prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned again, strengthen your brothers. You see, sin aim, sin's aim is to sink the believer. But only the Lord can use it to strengthen them. Jesus' campfire service not only reenacts Peter, Peter's moment of failure, it also reinforces his future. You see, in Bible days, when a person was invited to have a meal, that was, that was a show of an intimate relationship. But also in biblical days, if someone had wronged you and you invited them to a meal, the invitation and the meal itself was a sign that you had fully forgiven them of the wrong that they had done to you. You see, when, 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 when Peter got off that boat and Jesus said, won't you guys come over here and have breakfast with me? He was sending Peter message number one. I've forgiven you. I have forgiven you of all that you've done. You are absolutely, totally, 
and completely forgiven. He then asked Peter on three different occasions, Do you love me, Peter? To which Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. And then on that third time, Peter with, 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 with great force says, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. And what is, what is Jesus doing? Again, he is simply reinforcing into this stubborn man's heart and stubborn man's life through the meal, through the reenactment around this campfire, through the three questions concerning love, he is doing nothing but reinforcing in his life that I have forgiven you of your failure. Peter, you have failed, but I'm not finished. And listen, that's my message for all of us this morning who walk with Christ, who have our moments of failure. Is God pleased with your failure? No. Is He perplexed by your failure? Absolutely not. And, and in those moments where you are overwhelmed by your failure, what you need to hear the voice of God say to you and to me this morning is, yes, you failed, but I'm not finished. You failed, but I'm not finished. And guess what? I'm going to take your failure, your sin, and I'm going to use it to make you stronger, and I'm going to use it to make others stronger. Why? Because the last point is, when, he, when he's asking these questions, and then that final statement where he talks about, you've dressed yourself, there's coming a day where you're not going to dress yourself, and there's going to come a day where you're going to stretch out your arms. You know what he's doing? He's telling he, 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 is, he is talking to Peter, not only about his sin of the past, but he's also talking about his future. Notice what he said. When he said, do you love me? He never brings up Peter's past failure. The only connection between Peter's failure uh, uh, and that moment is the fact that Jesus asked him three questions, just like he was asked three questions around the fire. But Jesus never brings up the denial at the fire. What does he say? Do you love me? Peter says, Lord, you know I love you. Tend my, tend my sheep, feed my flock, right? So he's pointing to a future, to a hope. What is he saying to Peter? You failed, but I've not finished. There's still, work to be le- There's still work to be done. I'm not done with you yet. And guess what? You are going to grow old. And, and, and there's going to come a day where you're going to die this, this horrible death. Why? Because I'm not finished with you yet. Peter, we still got people to preach to and we still got people to love and we still got books to write and there's still a work that is left to be done in your life. So though you may feel like you're finished, I'm not finished. And what does he say to him? The best words that a fallen Christian could ever hear. Follow me. (laughs) Follow me. Peter, get up, right? Sometimes he says to me, get out of your pity party, Jason. Get up and follow me. You failed. You sinned. I'm not pleased by it. But I'm, simply, but I, but I'm definitely not caught off guard by it. I'm not perplexed by it. As a matter of fact, I knew it was coming long before you were ever born. I knew you were going to do that. But listen... I can work all things together for good. I can work your sin for good. I can work your failures to good. You know what I can do? I can turn your sin on its head and use it 
for my glory. Can I, can I give you one way that he does this? Two, well, really, two quick ways he does this in the life of Peter. Do y'all remember in the book of Acts that there's a story where Peter's in prison and they're going to execute him in the morning? Right? Everybody familiar with that story? And, and the ladies are praying. You remember they got the prayer meeting going on? And then they're praying for him to be delivered and then God does deliver him. And the little girl, I think her name's Rhoda, she goes to the door and it's Peter and she runs back and she's like, hey, it's Peter, he's here, he's been delivered. Oh no, we're in a prayer meeting, we're praying for him to be delivered. You know, that's kind of the way we pray, right? We pray, God answers, well, oh, no, God ain't really pray. I mean, he didn't really answer that. But here's, here's what we, I think we miss in that story. The Bible says that Peter was asleep and he was going to get executed the next morning. Like, look, if my head's coming off tomorrow, I don't think I'm sleeping. I think I'm figuring a way to get out, right? I'm going to tunnel out. I'm thinking Shawshank Redemption here, except and I don't have all the time to dig that tunnel, but I'm, I'm trying to figure a way to get out. Peter's asleep. Why is he asleep? Because he ain't an old dude. He's still young. And the Lord had told him, said, when you're old, you won't be able to dress yourself. And they'll stretch out your arms. I'm telling you, this, this, this Peter who lacked great faith in a crucial moment, became, his failure actually became an instrument in his life that God used to give him greater faith. He's sound asleep because he knows, well, God, the Lord said, I'm not dying till I'm old, so there ain't no way I can go tomorrow. Irregardless of the circumstances. And what I love about this, the end of Peter's life is that Peter dies in the same way that his Lord dies. And he dies because he would not deny Christ. Peter, the denier, became the man who would bear his cross literally to the end. Listen, you may have denied Christ. You may have had a great fall. You may have been away from the Lord for some extended period of time. And all I want to say to you this morning is that the Lord knows. He knows. He knows you. He knows your heart. And it is by no accident that you're listening to this sermon this morning, whether it's online or whether it's right here in this sanctuary, because the Lord has a word for you. And the word for you is simply this. I'm not finished. I'm not finished with you. Get up and follow me. Get up and follow me. And listen, you get up and follow the Lord this morning, and I promise you somewhere down the road, there'll be another day in your life where the Lord will say, get up and follow me. Our lives are constant. It's a constant process of getting up and following the Lord and getting up and following the Lord. But remember, 
He brought you in. And He's going to be the one that assures that you stay in to the end. Because Jesus always finishes what He starts. Next time you, maybe you go home today and you look at a half-finished project at your house. Wives, I'm talking about your husbands. And you just wish, man, I wish he'd get that finished. How long does it take for him to get that done? And I'll tell you what I tell my wife. You want it done quicker, hire somebody. <laughs> Is he ever going to finish the project? Or next time you drive by something, you're like, man, I wonder if they're ever going to finish that. Just always remember this. We men may not be good at finishing projects or finishing them on time. But God is never, ever, ever not finished what He started. Heavenly Father, this morning, as we come to the conclusion, I don't know any other encouragement I can offer then you bring us in and then you're constantly seeking us because we are, as the hymn writer says, we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But though we are prone to wonder, you are even more prone to seeking and though like sheep, like we are, we, we go astray, we, we, we have lapses in judgment, we, we find ourselves in unfamiliar places, we find ourselves often in different types of danger, yet without fail, the shepherd's voice calls out to us. And we hear that voice. And so, Father, I pray that those that may be away from you this morning would hear your voice, the voice of the shepherd, saying, come and follow me. And I pray that they will. In Christ's name, amen. Would you stand? Would you sing one more song with us this morning? Uh, if you're in need of prayer or any spiritual counsel, I'll be standing down at the front uh, to receive anybody who's in need. Let's sing.